You're listening to the Weekly Wrap-Up on Sprott Money News. Hello and welcome back to the Weekly Wrap-Up here on Sprott Money News. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford, and on the line with me today, we have our chairman, Mr. Eric Sprott. Good morning, Eric. How are you doing today? Hey, Jeff. I'm doing well. Good to be with you. Great. So, Eric, let's take a look firstly at what's happening as far as gold demand in the world. I mean, ironically, demand for jewelry in China has shot up 60%, while Chinese demand has slumped by 37% to 147.1 tons in Q3 due to their anti-graph campaign. What are your thoughts on those numbers coming out of China right now, Eric? Well, there's only one number that comes out of China that's important, and that's the amount of gold that leaves the Shanghai Gold Exchange. A gentleman named Koost Jansen has a website that's specifically dedicated to demand for gold in China. And there's a huge disparity between what the Chinese people within China state as the yearly gold demand and the World Gold Council's number, which was something like 1,100 tons. Uh, So we have an 1,100 ton difference in people reporting numbers, Gold Council versus versus people in China and Koost Jansen, for example. And, of course, 1,100 tons is just a massive difference when you're only dealing in a, in a product where the total supply is 4,000 tons. And the Gold Council every year says demand equals supply. But their numbers short by 1,100 tons. And I've, of course, addressed this with the World Gold Council and suggested they got to come to grips with this. I mean, which number is correct here? We have people in China saying it's 2,200 tons and people in the West saying it's 1,100. The, uh, the Chinese number, the jewelry demand was, we, we know that <laughs> this year at least 2,000 tons will, will go out of the uh, Shanghai Gold Exchange. The last uh, probably six to eight weeks, it's been average or at least 50 tons a week. I mean, 50 tons a week is over 2,500 tons a year. So the demand has been been incredible. Demand in um, in India has been very high. I think the number for September was 84 tons. So you can see between China and India, they consume all. They can certainly consume all the mined gold in a year. The mined gold is about 2,700 tons. So it doesn't leave much left for anyone else to buy. All all we can add to the mining production is the recycling, which is a very difficult number to get a grip on. It's estimated around 1,300 tons. Who knows? I mean, I see most people who refine gold say that there's less gold uh, coming in for re-refinement from scrap, so, but, but the numbers aren't inherently weak. So I think the demand has been spectacular. Uh, it's almost like the people in Asia consider these prices gift and a great time to buy, and most of all the data I look at suggests the demand is very strong. Now, switching over to the economy, kind of the economy and gold, uh, gold futures rose again for the second time in three days after a U.S. employment report showed that U.S. jobless claims increased more than predicted last week. So jobless claims in the week ending November 1st rose to 2.39 million from 2.36 million in the previous week. What are your thoughts in terms of the U.S. job data and likewise the economy overall? Well, as you know, I don't trust a lot of U.S. data. In fact, I don't trust most U.S. data. And, you know, I can actually see a world where we could get to zero unemployment claims, but there would be massive unemployment because everyone's run out of their 52-week time period and they know there's no jobs and you can't apply anymore. So I think it's a a very weak um, indicator of what's really going on at the best of times. And theoretically, jobless claims have been falling here, but if people are unemployed that long, they can't claim again. So the number is, is biased to, the, to going down in a very weak economy. And as we've seen, the job growth is, is tepid at best. I happen to believe that this year in particular, the number of people who have been shifted from full-time to part-time 
uh, has caused the jobless job numbers to rise because people need more than one job because a lot of these uh, employers will only employ them for 29 and a half hours. So it's really tough to, to look at the job numbers, the jobless claim numbers, and derive any any meaningful um, results from it. I think what you have to do is just look at you know, what the 70 to 90% of the population are saying in terms of their income, which is as flat as can be. I just don't think there's any major recovery going on. We see it in most of the numbers. I think McDonald's now has had what is it, uh, 13 quarters of declining sales on a store-for-store basis. That's the type of number that's a, a real number that should tell you what it's like out on the on the front lines of the economy. And if it wasn't for car sales, which have been pr- pretty robust because the price of cars has gone down because of zero interest rates. Housing, I think new homes are about a third of where they were at their peak. Uh, car sales are still well below their peak. So I'm not a believer in any great um, recovery going on. As you, you probably would be aware, the the job, the job eliminations uh, in October were something like 58,000. I think it might have been the high for the year. So lots of companies keep announcing uh, job layoff numbers. So, And that's a real number. It's, it's created by uh, a private enterprise. So the job situation is, is not good in the States, and I'm just not a believer that there's any sense of a, of a recovery. We know that uh, Europe's on the verge of recession. We know that China's weaker. We know Japan, Japan is way down year over year. So there's not much strength uh, economically going on in the world right now. I know we haven't talked about it in a couple of weeks now, Eric, but uh, in terms of Ebola, it seems as if... Uh there's been less coverage about it over the last few weeks. What are your thoughts in terms of any updates in regards to Ebola and likewise the uh, media coverage about the subject? I, I did. The reason I wanted to talk about Ebola, okay. I, when I saw the first case go into Mali, I thought, oh boy, here we go. It's going to spread from one country to another. So I'm dutifully looking at uh, you know Ebola, Mali, and there's nothing, 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 nothing. And, uh, of course, I have in the back of my mind uh, a statement that I read that the edict went out in the states to stop covering uh, Ebola news because it wasn't working with the Democrats pre-election. And then when the World uh, Health Organization published their numbers uh, just a couple of days ago, they said, oh, we have another four deaths from Ebola in Mali. And of course, there'd been no reference to it in the press anywhere along to see whether this thing was, was likely to spread like it had in other countries. And, you know, so we never even reported new suspects of having Ebola, but yet now we have four deaths already. So I can I can assure everyone we're not getting very good reporting on what's really happening over there. I know the cases went up by about, uh, I think it was around 800 cases in a five-day period, uh, which is about 1,000 a week, which is, a, that's a very fast rate of increase here. So I, much as the press is trying to tell us that Ebola is under control, it's not under control, and we're not getting very good press on it. And the World Health Organization keeps st- stating that the number of cases is probably understated. So we really have no idea where we're going with this thing, but uh, in terms of the timeline of where we thought we might be uh, by some of the mathematical uh, formula, we are right on track, and as people would recall, the suggestion was by the, I think it was the Center for Disease Control, that by mid-January of next year, we'd have somewhere between half a million and a million and a half cases, and I know it sounds like a stretch to get there from, from 15,000, but, you know, it, 
at the rate of increase we have, if you just apply the numbers, uh, where it increases by, let's say, 8% a week, I mean, it doesn't, that's a huge compounding effect, and, and it can get quickly out of control. And I would point out that we are not getting very good news on it anymore because no one, nobody really wants to talk about it, but it's a very big concern, and people should, uh, should be aware of, of, of it. this could could, and I emphasize that word, become a very important economic factor going forward. So let's take a look now, Eric, in, in terms of what's happening with the open interest in the precious metal markets. What is your thought on that, Eric? Well, um, we have a very high open interest, both uh, for gold and silver in the December contract. In silver, for example, we have, I think, around 440 million uh, ounces outstanding for the December contract. By my count, we have nine days um, before first notice day. And, you know, if it, if it ended up at, let's say, um, something like 40 million at, at first notice day, that would be 200 million ounces. There aren't even 200 million ounces in the COMEX inventory, let alone the dealer inventory or the registered inventory, the inventory that's available for delivery. So uh, it's tracking uh, as though we're going to get a very high number, and that uh, we're going to know within uh, nine days where that's going to stand. So, and, and also, it's also true in gold. We have a very high open interest. I think it might be some, running something like 23 million ounces, which everyone would know is a lot of ounces <laughs> for one month uh, when the world produces it mines 80 million ounces in a year. So we have a few more days to watch it, but uh, it, it could be very interesting if, if some of these uh, open interests decide they want to tender for physical product, there could be a, a failure at the COMEX. So we have to stand by on it. It's very, a very volatile number, uh, but it looks like we're going to have a very high open interest in both metals uh, asking for delivery come, uh, I think, the last day is November 28th. First notice day is November 28th. Well, as usual, Eric, we always appreciate your insight here on the weekly wrap-up, and we look forward to speaking to you in the weeks to come. Okay, Jeff, all the best to you and all your listeners. Thank you very much, Eric. And to our listeners, thank you for listening. This is Jeff Rutherford for the weekly wrap-up here on Sprout Money News. Have a great day.